Ron Van Dam. He's dashing and debonair, suave and sophisticated, intelligent and erudite, and he wrote this. You are listening to The Ron Van Dam Show on New England Broadcasting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. It's The Ron Van Dam Show. Okay, whatever. Hold on tight, things can get a bit weird, if you like that sort of thing. Well, thank you for turning me on in a non-sexual manner. I will now perform a show for you because you requested it. When I do a program like this, I tailor it for an individual person. I'm talking to you, Becky. Hey, Becky, my eyes are up here. I don't know who Becky is. I like to use that name because it's silly, but I I don't know who she is, I swear. Hey, it's the middle of another week. It's the hump day for camels. This is when we honor camels, the only animals that can go for like, what, 20 years without drinking water? I don't believe I have the correct information on that particular fact. Why do I have to drink a lot of water? Because I can't store it like a camel. I don't have a hump on my back. I don't? If you're if you're a human being, you don't want a hump. You, you don't want a well, you know you don't want a hump. No. But it is the middle of the week, kids. It's just like if this makes a difference to you, half the week is over and you only have another half left before you have a weekend and then you got to start all over again. What a pathetic life you lead. But that's your problem, not mine. So that's enough theme song. Oh, yeah. The middle of the week. Oh, my God. If you live for the weekend, then you really, you've got to change jobs or something, man, because uh, you got to get it on, man. This is not the way this is supposed to work. No, not at all. You should enjoy every single day. Find an aspect of your life that you can enjoy on a daily basis, because otherwise this is not good for you. I'm just telling you. I mean, it's none of my business. I'm just telling you. I don't know. I don't know anybody. Oh, that, that should be the end of the sentence. <laughs> but it's not. There's more to it. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a good amount of baggage. And by baggage, I'm not talking about a suitcase when you go on vacation. I'm talking about the stuff in your past that you carry with you through your entire life. It makes no sense. Unpack your baggage. I'm philosophically speaking to you. You, Becky. Yeah, you. All right. Anyway. What a, whatever. Whatever. My favorite word. Whatever. Eh. 
it's uh, it is January, and I, I don't I don't like January. It's it well, it's the beginning. It's the start of a of a year that makes no difference whatsoever. It's as stupid as like Wednesday being the middle of the week. It's just, that's stupid. January, the beginning of the year. It does, every day is a new day. Who was it? Uh, Isosceles when he invented the triangle. You know that instrument you play in the orchestra. Um, yeah, I think Isosceles said uh, every day is a new beginning. I maybe I think Isosceles probably said it, but he wasn't the original one that did. I think it was Confucius. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure anymore. You know, there's a pressing problem that nobody seems to be addressing at all. We talk about it passively, and I think half the planet doesn't even buy into it. And that's the fact that, and, and I'm not going to get, don't worry about it, I'm not going to get all crazy on you, but uh, the planet is like definitely not good. It's, it's, if the planet had a doctor, had a primary care specialist, the, the doctor would say, excuse me, planet, you're in bad shape. Your labs came back. They're not looking good. Yeah, no, no, uh, it's not good. The planet will survive, but the ability for life and human beings especially to actually survive on the planet, that's not going to happen because there'll be food shortages and people will kill each other for food. You think it's bad now? <laughs> it's just the beginning, bozo. Yeah. That's why the concept of eternal life on this planet is not the greatest one in the world. But what are you going to do? So we started looking at going to Mars. You, you know, <laughs> uh, never happy with what you have, are you? Now you got to go to Mars and start a civilization there. Well, all I tell you is because the Earth is dwindling, you better step up your process of getting to Mars and starting a community and putting people up there because uh, we're running out of time. My suggestion, as it has been since the very beginning when they announced they wanted to send people to Mars to start a colony, I said, well, I mean, Trump would be your perfect candidate. He can run Mars. He can be the dictator of Mars. That just That's fine with me. How about like now? How about trying that out right now? Yesterday, um, I, I don't know the organization that put, I think it was the, uh, I don't know, whatever, the Weather Department of the United States said that uh, it was probably a world organization. The World Organization of, of Earth uh, Medical uh, Concerns uh, said that uh, yeah, uh, last year, 2023, which was last year according to my numbers, last year, 2023 was the hottest record ever since they started taking records. And I don't know when they did that. I think it was like the 1800s or something. They started like writing stuff down. Um, since they began uh, observing weather and, and writing it down, uh, this has been the hottest ever. So the cyclical thing is um, cyclically going out of control. If it's cyclical, then this, this cyclical was worse than the other cyclicals. And they also forecast that this was not the uh, the end of the hottest year thing. It could continue. And that would mean uh, flooding beyond just a large rainstorm. 
And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, then I guess you're not on my level. Uh, so just get lost. It's a serious thing. But here's the problem. The things that inhabit the earth and make the decisions are human beings. And right now, uh, on the chart of human beings' intelligence, we're kind of like off the bottom of the chart. We've devolved into not even being able to walk upright. That's because we sit around too much. It's a serious problem. And even if the United States... And Congress got together and made some big moves in order to stop the degradation of this planet. But that ain't going to happen because uh, most of this country still wants to drill for oil and, you know, pick apart the ground that uh, that we live on. So it ain't going to happen here. But even if it did, you got the rest of the world to deal with because everything is driven by money. And if I can uh, make money destroying the earth and drilling for things and screwing it up and knocking down forests and all that kind of stuff. If I can change all that environment uh, and it's I can make money off of it, I'm going to make money off of it. Uh, I don't care about the future. I won't be here. Oh, my God, what an attitude. I mean, if there's a heaven and a hell, they've got reservations for you downstairs. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's a horrible thing, and I don't even like to talk about it because it just demonstrates to me uh, how how incredibly ridiculous and all this conspiracy theory stuff that is just fun for people and they buy into it, it just really... <sighs> Cyclical? No. 2023, the stupidest people so far? Yes, we've probably gotten there too. That's probably also a record since records were kept on how stupid people really are. And it's not a it's not a happy day, kids, even though it is hump day, the middle of the week for a lot of you. Uh, remember Greta Thunberg? Remember her? She was a kid, and she addressed the, U- the United Nations General Assembly, and she scolded them. A kid scolded adults for ruining her future on this planet. I love this girl. Not in that way, but I mean, she had the balls. I don't know why we have that expression. Girls don't have testicles, but yet when you have testicles, it's a show of strength and courage. Got to change that one. Got to change it. Outdated. Here's Greta. This is what Greta said a couple years ago. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school, on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Holy shit. Wow. (laughs) There wasn't one word that wasn't accurate there. She should be president. Uh, Greta... Yeah, you're so much on point that it's scary. 
And of course, uh, the members of the General Assembly applaud her. That's about it. Lord. You know, I've said this before on the show. Joe Biden. I mean, it's a choice between uh, a dictator and uh, someone who likes democracy. My choice is clear, but uh, uh, Joe... Uh, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're missing, Joe. Um, Both candidates are very high in age, so, you know, we kind of blocked that part of it out as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But here's my concern, Joe. Uh, This is how you draw in the younger generation into voting the next time around uh, coming up in November. Here's what you do. You assemble the smartest, brightest kids from high school and college you assemble these fuckers this i mean these kids and young adults you know just started out in life you assemble them and you you have them do what we call a think tank but more than that it's a committee and they get together once a month or every six months whatever and they discuss the matters that most affect their future because they're the ones that are going to be here on the planet. And you give them a voice. And the president himself meets with them on a regular basis, every six months, whatever. Personally, in front, you know, they all get together. Uh, it can be at a Holiday Inn, I don't know, wherever. And they get together and he listens to, to their concerns uh, as a group they they agree on concerns or if they don't agree then he hears both sides and that way joe you you've got to act upon some of those things that make sense and that's how you do it joe that's how you bring a, a generation into your generation you 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 listen to them they listen to you and you have these these kumbaya meetings it's not been done before joe but it would be very successful. It couldn't hurt. It could only help. And not only will you get votes that way, but that's not really what it's about. It's, it's, a, it's what happens as a result, but that's not what it's about. It's about really tailoring lifestyle and government and this country to that generation and giving them a real say in it, a real, a real mouth in how things are going to be as they get involved in their lives as middle-aged people, etc. Do it, Joe. I don't think Joe listens, and I say Joe with great respect, uh, but Joe's the kind of guy, you know, he's, he's, he's hey, Ron, I'm Joe. That's the kind of guy he is. You know, no matter what you think about his politics and all that kind of stuff, he's, he's, a, he's a regular guy. He's a regular guy. He would sit there and just talk to you and listen to you and have nice conversations. He's just a regular guy. No matter what you think of him otherwise, you know, as far as his views. So, Joe, I don't know if you listen to this show. You really should, by the way. You really should. I mean, I... I don't want to gloat or anything, but you, you really should listen to this show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here that, you know, uh, underneath the, the, the passive humor that I pass out 
uh, underneath, there's a lot of good stuff happening here. If you know Joe, tell him to tune in and to take my advice about getting this committee of younger people together and actually personally engaging with them on a regular basis. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> I don't understand why you didn't come up with this before. Anyway, I have an interesting guest coming up uh, shortly. I don't think he's short. I have met him in person. This is a telephone interview. And we're going to talk about uh, a book that he's written that has to do with uh, a World War II rescue and situation. I'll be honest with you. I was not in the military. Had I been in the military, they would have kicked me out and said, Ron, just do your show and shut up. I mean, don't shut up doing your show, but shut up uh, in the military. We can't deal with you. And also physically, Ron, you're not even close. So forget it. Uh, But I was not in the military. I totally respect those that did and are. Um, The the situations that one must uh, endure would be beyond my abilities, I will say. So I do admire that. I have no trouble uh, saying that and, and feeling that. This is a gentleman whose father went through some of the most horrendous experiences during the war, as so many did. But this uh, warranted a book, and possibly even a screenplay for a movie. So he's going to uh, join us momentarily. You you might find this fascinating. But first, ladies and gentlemen, I don't just get into interviews willy-nilly, and I don't know who Willie is, and I certainly don't know who Nilly is. But I do play commercials for various reasons, and that would be to pay for this. So let's do that now. Here's a product that you don't think about very much, but it's kind of important to a lot of people. Do you know that there is one item that can not only increase your home's beauty, but its value? That would be placemats. Hello, I'm George Karanapikopoulos, owner of George K's Wholesale Placemat Warehouse, your one-stop for all your placemat needs. We have a placemat for every room of your house. That's right, placemats are not just for the dining room anymore. Anywhere you might make a spill, or maybe where you eat, like in front of the TV. I do it all the time like you. You want a placemat. We have fancy placemats, like in bamboo or teak. That's right, teak. Nice plastic laminate ones for no stains, even blue. We can custom make you placemats in as little as two weeks. Come to our showroom at the intersection of Route 27 and the Holbrook Turnpike. You're going to like what you see. Your placemat is waiting for you at George K's Wholesale Placemat Warehouse. Gary Santos joins us now. He's an author of a very interesting novel called The Grand Pause, and it's based on true events. It's an incredible story. It uh, takes place in the midst of World War II. Uh, how you doing today, Gary? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Ron? Great, thank you. What, uh, what prompted you to write this particular book? It, it all starts with my father, Eugene Santos, he was a sailor on board the aircraft carrier Randolph during World War II. Oh. And he spoke often about his uh, experience on the, on the ship. And when he passed away in 
2016, mm-hmm. you know, the stories uh, suddenly stopped and there was a basically a void in my life. So to fill this void, I, I studied his uh, ship, the USS Randolph, and and just discovered the uh, the wonderful history of the ship, not only in World War II, but throughout uh, the 1950s and 1960s. Wow. In the course of my research, mm-hmm. I literally bumped into this incredible rescue uh, of two aviators from the middle of Japan. And, and and that uh, that that's a true story. Uh, but your your book is a work of fiction. It, it's it's novelized for uh, you know for the dialogue. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, and right. So it's a true story. Uh, most of the sailors are true yeah. in there. Uh, everybody from uh, Admiral Michener, mm-hmm. the task force commander, all the mm-hmm. way down to the lowliest sailor, yeah. who would be my father. Uh, I did create fictional characters. I created two Japanese kamikaze pilots on their last day of life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I created uh, a journalist on the Randolph that just, you know, he asked the questions that the sailors can't ask, you know, Mm. uh, who are these uh, kamikazes or what's their motive? Uh, Sailors who are preoccupied with trying to survive and they wouldn't ask the rhetorical questions. So I created the journalist. Okay, so basically, uh, you wrote a screenplay. Um, in, in other words, it's a true story based on on true incidents, and uh, you wrote the dialogue for for what they probably said. Is is that accurate? <laughs> I, yeah, I, to an extent. <laughs> to I, I extent. mean, um, <laughs> when I bumped into the story in the National Archives, well, you know, I'm, I'm researching. I'm not looking for any particular ideas to write about. I'm mm-hmm. just researching my father's vessel. And and so I'm pulling up action reports and, and uh, the deck logs of the ship. And most of those documents are very dry reading. Uh, but, when, but when I came across this rescue, it, it, it actually was exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, almost the, the, the pilots who wrote this report almost felt that they had a sense of history. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I was reading James Michener's uh, the bridges at Tokori. Oh. That's that's how exciting it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did it take you to write this? I'd, I'd say about two years. Wow. I, I, yeah. Basically in home confinement during the pandemic. Yes. That's a, it's, it's a good time to write a book there, Gary, I suppose. Right. <laughs> that's line. Uh, this must have brought back some incredibly great memories for you uh, of, of your father's stories. As you say, spend a lot of time uh, relaying them to you. It obviously was a major part of his life, right? Yes. The, this ship was probably the second most important thing in his life mm-hmm. uh, at the family. Uh, this you know, even though his experience on the ship took place in a great conflict, a horrible conflict, mm-hmm. you know, it gave him direction in life. He, he grew up in the uh, in poverty in New York City yes. during the Depression and uh, had, had no direction in life. This, mm-hmm. this ship became his compass. Yeah, a very typical story as far as that's concerned, but this... Uh what he went through is, is, is turned out to be a psychological thriller in a, in a sense. Um, I, I've always been curious when, when a, uh, a person in the military, uh, acts so closely with other members of the military and go through this type of trauma. 
uh, this type of partnership. Did he ever hook up with any of his former soldier mates, let's call them? Um, Does that happen? Well, yes. I mean, uh, I've I've become quite active in what... uh, on the Facebook page of the ship's uh, association. Oh, they have one. And, okay. and they have, yeah, they, they have meetings every year. I believe they're ah. going to have another one in, in September of this year in, in Virginia. How cool. But, but dad never participated in those. Oh, and why? Yeah. It, it basically his experience was his memories and, ah. and those, those memories were vivid, absolutely vivid. Yeah. Wow. I wish I had vivid memories from just from yesterday. <laughs> it's a, yeah, but I'm, I guess I'm the same way. Yeah, but I guess if you're going through, through something as as critical as that, that's something that you that you do remember. Uh, he was involved in. in uh, tell me about the rescue itself specifically. Uh, the, the the crux of the book. Okay, so the to, uh, so the fleet is off the, off the coast of Okinawa, uh-huh. warding off uh, Kamikaze's attacks, well. and. Yeah, Admiral Michener winds up losing two flagships from Kamikazes, as does Admiral Spoons, who's the fifth fleet commander. Yeah. And May fourteenth, you know, Michener takes the the fast carrier uh, task force, separates it from uh, Okinawa, mm-hmm. and and they depart for uh, for the waters of Japan, where they're going to make strategic attacks on Kamikaze bases on the southern island of Kyushu. Japan is uh, an island nation, and three of the the islands ring this, this sea. Uh-huh. It's called the uh, Seedland Sea, considered the uh, Asian Mediterranean. And during the briefing for the attacks, the, uh, the intelligence officer said, if, if you experience trouble, don't ditch into this inlet sea the, it's heavily you, you, you're surrounded, it's trafficked by uh, enemy vessels yeah. you will not be rescued okay. make all efforts to glide or ditch in the Pacific yeah, and what did they do? of course, this, yeah, if you don't have an engine you, you ditch wherever yeah. or, or whatever's in front of you, right. and that was the case with the wow. one, one airplane piloted by John Morris yes. from Massachusetts uh-huh. and his uh, gunner uh, Cletus Feigley from Missouri. So the plane ditches into the Cedar Inland Sea in sight of the Japanese. Oh, yeah. uh, now, the Japanese make attempts to try to capture the airmen floating in a raft. Yeah. Uh, uh, small fishing uh, vessels try to make uh, excursions, but they're, they're, they're driven away by by uh, uh, fighter airplanes uh-huh. that, uh, that are overhead. Uh-huh. Uh, at uh, one point, a tanker a tanker tries to take the uh, the uh, the pilots, and the, the, they're forced. Uh, the and it, they're eventually bombed by the uh, patrolling fighters overhead. I see. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, several things. Two two, two Japanese destroyers show yeah. up. They had a couple of airplanes, and, uh-huh. and they just kept. The the trolling fighters just kept everybody at bay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Don't tell me the end. I, I'm. Sh- I'm sure it's. It's a. It's a good thing. Uh, but uh, wow, uh, I, the comments about your book are that uh, you have the ability to take the readers right into it again. In other words, you 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 feel like you're going through it, and that's uh, 
That's, that's quite an art to be able to do that. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you very much. The book's available everywhere? It, yes, uh, online right now. Online, good. In, on uh, Amazon. Yeah. On, uh, well, that's and, everywhere, uh, Gary. Barnes Noble. That, that's yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Amazon, think, Barnes & Noble online. I think that's all there is now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, it's called The Grand Pause. Gary Santos is the author. Gary, do you, do you have some way that people can look at your stuff and, and website and all that kind of stuff in this modern day and age of looking at people's yes, stuff? Yes, well, the, the book the book has a Facebook page. It's okay. facebook.com backslash a grand pause. Okay, so they can just go into the Facebook search thing and do a grand pause and find it that way. Yes. Very cool. Are you working on anything else? Well, I, I am uh, writing a a history of uh, Roosevelt Field uh, nearby me in, on Long Island. Yes. But uh, I'm actually assisting this this uh, independent uh, filmmaker, marvelous uh, filmmaker, in a documentary of uh, the Kamikaze and uh-huh. the Fast Carrier, Fast Carrier Task Group. Nice. His name is Rob Rob Cook, and, uh-huh. and this uh, documentary is called uh, The Reign of Kamikaze. Uh-huh. It should be out... Uh, I, I guess within six to uh, six months or to a year. Yeah. And what he's uh, shown me and what uh, and what he's talked about, just it's just a marvel. It's going to be a marvelous film. Wow. Well, you're a uh, certainly with what uh, you've been told and what you've done here with the book. You're you're a good expert to to be a part of that. It seems to be a good thing. So, yeah, it's a yeah. small part, but I'm really honored to be part of that. Project. Well, yeah, it's a small part that's probably quite big. Um. Gary, it's a pleasure. Uh, again, uh, Gary Santos, you can Google his name, by the way, and you'll probably find it that way. But the book is called The Grand Pause, and uh, it, it, it immerses you into uh, that rescue and that, that time uh, when things were critical, life and death. Uh, and as you say, you know, you venture into that territory, you don't expect to come out or to be rescued. That's heavy stuff, my friend. Uh, thank, oh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time today, and I and, uh, hope we speak in the future. Uh, absolutely, uh, and I wish you and your audience a, a, a fine day. Well, that'll do it for me today. I'll be back again tomorrow with a brand new program. Will you join me then? I'm leaving space so you can respond. Will you join me then? I I, I don't... Did you know that I'm going to be back again tomorrow? Sorry, I don't know that. Yeah, well, I will. But until then, I wish you peace. <laughs>